69 in your church Bibles. Reading from Ruth chapter 4, starting at verse 1. Meanwhile, Boaz went up to the town gate and sat down there, just as the guardian redeemer he had mentioned came along. Boaz said, come over here, my friend, and sit down. So he went over and sat down. Boaz took ten of the elders of the town and said, sit here, and they did so. Then he said to the guardian redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from Moab, is selling the piece of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. I thought I should bring the matter to your attention and suggest that you buy it in the presence of these seated here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, do so. But if you will not, tell me, so I will know. For no one has the right to do it except you, and I am next in line. I will redeem it, he said. Then Boaz said, On the day you buy the land from Naomi, you also acquire Ruth Moabite, the dead man's widow, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property. At this the guardian redeemer said, Then I cannot redeem it because I might endanger my own estate. You redeem it yourself. I cannot do it. Now in earlier times in Israel, for the redemption and transfer of property to become final, one party took off his sandal and gave it to the other. This was the method of legalizing transactions in Israel. So the guardian redeemer said to Boaz, buy it yourself, and he removed his sandal. Then Boaz announced to the elders and all the people, today you are witnesses that I have bought from Naomi all the property of Elimelech, Kilion, and Malon. I have also acquired Ruth the Moabite, Malon's widow, as my wife, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property so that his name will not disappear from among his family or from his hometown. Today you are witnesses. Then the elders and all the people at the gate said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the family of Israel. May you have standing in Ephathra and be famous in Bethlehem. Through the offspring the Lord gives you by this young woman, may your family be like that of Perez, whom Tamor bore to Judah. Father God, thank you for uh, speaking to us through your word, the Bible. Thank you that these stories written so long ago, you still speak to us today by your spirit through them. And we pray that tonight you would do that and please direct us. Uh, direct our thinking and our affections to the Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, evening everyone, let me add my welcome to Fiona's. Uh, yesterday, I was at a wedding, Lizzie and Zika's wedding, maybe you know them. It was right here at 12.30 yesterday, Zika was sitting just where Fiona is, uh, and Lizzie walked up the aisle in her beautiful dress, and a few minutes later, Lizzie and Zika we're married. Here's the aftermath, uh, which is a key, key ingredient that they actually got married for a successful wedding, isn't it? That's the main thing, that the bride and groom actually tie the knot. I mean, imagine this. Imagine if yesterday Lizzie's alarm hadn't gone off and she slept in. And eventually she makes it to uh, her car that's going to drive her into church, but uh, on the way the car runs out of petrol because 
in the busyness of all the wedding preparations, no one's filled it up for a while. And so Lizzie has to call a taxi to bring her the rest of the way to church. But when her Uber finally arrives, it turns out the driver has an irrational fear of wedding dresses. And so Lizzie has to change out of her dress before she gets into the taxi, and she plans to change back into her dress when she finally gets here, if that ever happens. Uh, and the rest of us are left here in church the whole time, waiting in suspense. Will Lizzie and Zika actually get married? And I wonder if any of those things perhaps went through Zika's mind as he was sitting here waiting himself. Well, that's the sort of thing that is going on in, in this story. In, uh, in Ruth chapter 4, will they get married? Last chapter, Ruth and Naomi hatched a plan to, uh, to have Ruth marry Boaz. So Ruth asked Boaz to marry her, and Boaz agreed. He agreed to uh, redeem her. And that language of, re of redeeming, think of it this way. Um, redeeming someone means releasing them from a terrible situation by paying a price. So you might redeem a slave by buying them their freedom. Or you might redeem a hostage by paying the ransom so they can be released. Uh, in these days, Boaz has this role of redeeming Ruth from being a childless widow, which back then was a really desperate situation to find yourself in. But here's the problem. There's another relative of Naomi and Boaz's who's first in line to redeem Ruth if he wants to, to marry her. Well, Boaz promises Ruth he'll sort things out, but as Ruth returns to Naomi, we're left in suspense. Will Ruth and Boaz get married or not? Well, that brings us to Ruth 4 on page 269. If you've closed your Bibles, do, do open them back up. And in what happens next, Boaz is in the spotlight. And right from verse 1, you're struck. Boaz doesn't waste any time sorting things out, does he? Just back a slide, please, Samuel. Uh, he's very keen to get things sorted out. As Ruth returns to Naomi, meanwhile, verse 1, Boaz gets himself to the town gate. Which seems an odd place to go, doesn't it? But the town gate, that's where official business happened, uh, in public, where everyone was coming and going, including legal business. Going to the town gate was a bit like going to court. See, Boaz, he's setting the stage here for a legal drama. If you like John Grisham and courtroom thrillers like that, then this is right off your street. And verse one, the other party in the court case just happens to come by. What a coincidence. The other family redeemer, the one with the right to redeem Ruth ahead of Boaz. And isn't this funny? We don't get his name. Boaz just calls him my friend. Actually, in the Hebrew, it's more like Mr. Such-and-such -such, or Mr. So-and-so, Mr. No-name. We'll come back to that. And anyway, Boaz calls over Mr. No-Name, and then he calls over 10 elders, 10 witnesses for this court case, and we're expecting Boaz to bring up Ruth. After all, that's the problem to Ruth and Boaz getting married. Mr. No-Name has this right to redeem Ruth ahead of Boaz. That's the legal issue. 
that needs resolving. But instead, Boaz brings up some property that Naomi seems to be selling. And there's lots we don't know. Maybe Naomi came back to this family land when she came back from Moab. And she's held off selling it as long as she possibly could. But now she's got no choice. She just needs the money, even if it means not having a home anymore. And Mr. No Name says, he'll redeem it. He'll redeem this family land so it stays in the family and Naomi doesn't have to live on the streets. Not bad, right? Looks like the court case is over. Until Boaz says, oh, by the way, Mr. So-and-so, I meant to mention, when you buy Naomi's land, her mother-in-law uh, comes with it. Ruth, the Moabite, so that you and she can raise up children in the name of her dead husband, Malon. And in that moment, you can almost see the color drain from Mr. So-and-so's face. A voice in his head saying, abort, abort, get out of here. See, marrying Ruth could be really costly for Mr. So-and-so. Maybe he fears marrying a Moabite, that their children would be racially impure or something like that. Maybe he's worried Ruth can't have kids. He couldn't, she didn't have any kids with her first husband. Well, what if they end up having no children to keep alive the family name? Or maybe he's worried Ruth will have kids, but they wouldn't count as his children, they'd count as Malon's children, Ruth's first husband. And so when inheritance time comes around, Mr. So-and-so's estate would pass into Malon's name. Or, if Mr. So-and-so already has children, then his estate might be divided between them and the children he has with Ruth. And so verse 6, Mr. No-Name quickly changes course. Then I cannot redeem it, because I might endanger my own estate. You redeem it yourself. I cannot do it. And then there's this weird stuff with a sandal that we don't really get. Um, and if we don't understand it, that's fine. The first readers didn't understand it either. That's why the writer has to explain bits of it to them. But the symbolism is, Mr. No Name hands over his rights to Boaz. And so verse nine, the legal drama comes to a close. Then Boaz announced to the elders and all the people, today you are witnesses that I have bought from Naomi all the property of Elimelech, Kilion, and Malon. Naomi won't lose her home, but that's not all. I have also acquired Ruth the Moabite, Malon's wife, Malon's widow, as my wife. It's all official, all public. Ruth and Boaz can get married. And it's a lovely story, isn't it? As much as a legal drama can be lovely. But here's the thing, what does it have to do with us? Well, three headings to uh, draw some things together for us tonight. First, the real redeemer. This week, um, as I've looked at this passage, I've been struck that Boaz is a really admirable guy, especially when you put him next to Mr. Such-and-Such, who is unwilling or unable to redeem Ruth 
But Boaz is different. Boaz is willing to redeem Ruth. In fact, he's eager to, right? He doesn't waste a moment. Whatever cost put off Mr. So-and-so doesn't put off Boaz. He's willing. And he's able to redeem her. He pulls it off. Ruth is redeemed. Naomi too. Left to themselves. They had no hope. And now they're redeemed. What a difference he's made for them. And Boaz redeeming Ruth, it's not just it's just a, a transaction for him. You could get the impression from the legal drama stuff that this is just a cold legal transaction. But no, redeeming Ruth is intimately personal for Boaz. He jumps through all the legal hoops because he wants her. He wants to marry her. You can nearly think of it this way. Boaz doesn't just want Ruth to be redeemed. He wants to be the one to redeem her. You get a clue like that in verse 5 when he says to Mr. Nonem, by the way, when you get Naomi's land, you also take Ruth the Moabite. Now up to this point, lots of people have called Ruth the Moabite, but not Boaz. He's never thought of her that way. Israelites didn't like Moabites. And that's why Boaz describes her this way to Mr. So-and-so, because Boaz wants him to drop out. He wants to be the one to marry Ruth. And people might look at him funny for marrying a Moabite, but verse 10, he announces to all, Ruth the Moabite is my wife. I'm not ashamed of my bride. Yes, she's a Moabite, and she's my Moabite. Well, in all those respects, Boaz is a little preview of the real redeemer, Jesus. Ruth and Naomi, they had a great redeemer in Boaz. Just imagine their joy when they heard what had happened that day. We're redeemed. What a redeemer we have. Well, how much more, if we're trusting in Jesus, what a redeemer we have to rejoice in. Think of him. He was willing to redeem us, despite the cost. Like Paul says, Christian, you were bought at a price. What price? 1 Peter 1, it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed, but with the precious blood of Christ. Jesus was willing to pay for us with his blood, his life. There was nothing at all forcing him to. He knew he was buying a messed up bunch of sinners who would let him down again and again, and he did it, and he was happy to. Jesus, willing to redeem us, and he's able. We are helpless to free ourselves from sin, uh, the, pro the penalty of sin, the power of sin. But Jesus managed it. If you're trusting in him, he has redeemed you. Galatians 3, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. The curse we deserved, he's taken it. You are redeemed. Or Ephesians 1, in him we have redemption through his blood, 
the forgiveness of sins. He's bought our forgiveness with his blood. We're redeemed. 1 Peter again. You were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you. No longer slaves to empty living. We're redeemed. Maybe you're saying for the first time, Christian salvation, it's not something we achieve. It's accomplished for us by another. At the end of the day, the only thing we contribute to our redemption is the stuff we need redeeming from, our sin, our death. So we recognize that, and we trust in Jesus the Redeemer who makes all the difference. He is willing, able, and get this, redeeming us is intimately personal for him. See, Jesus redeeming us is much more than a legal transaction, much more than him buying forgiveness for us. No, he wants us. He wants us for himself. Like a husband wants their beloved, which seems like a scandalous thing to believe. But the wedding that happened here yesterday, as good as it was, was just a shadow of the real marriage between Christ and his church, his bride. Whether we're single or married now, our heavenly husband loves us and longs for us, delights in us even, unworthy as we are. And when he comes, he will be unashamed to say, I'm theirs and they are mine. Brothers and sisters, we are the redeemed. And what a redeemer we have. Isn't he good? Don't you love him? Well, coming back to Boaz, who is this little preview of Jesus, I want to ask, what made him tick? The stuff he does in this chapter, redeeming Ruth and Naomi, what lay underneath that motivating him? What was driving him that might also drive us? Well, here's our second heading. What drives the Redeemer? And for Boaz, on one level, of course, it's uh, Ruth and Naomi's plan. You know, here we've got the man doing the redeeming, but um, it was the women who's, you know, who put the idea in his head. They were the ones who got this ball rolling in the first place. But that's not all, is it? Because Ruth only asked Boaz to marry her. And Boaz goes way beyond that. <coughs> Naomi's land, no one's asked him to buy that, but he does. He wants her to be provided for as well. Or this stuff about maintaining the name of the dead. You might have seen that come up a couple of times. Well, no one's mentioned that to him, but he's concerned for that too. And it's true, the law of Moses pointed in that direction, that if a married man died without children, then his brother should step in to father children in his name, keep the family name going. But Boaz could easily wiggle out of that law if he wanted to. He's not anyone's brother here, like the law says. And yet he makes it his concern to keep the family name alive. See, Boaz, he's not driven by duty. What must I do? Do I have to do this? What do I have to do so I can tick the box 
and saying I've done enough, that's not what drives him. Instead of asking what must I do, Boaz asks, what could I do? What needs are there I could do something about? Those in need, is there some way I could help? How could I bring hope to this needy situation? That's what drives him. See, even before Jesus, God's Spirit was at work in believers like Boaz, helping them go beyond the ladder of the law to love that fulfills the law, making them into previews of Jesus, people who embodied God's redeeming love. And now Jesus has come, God's Spirit makes us more like him as we look to our Redeemer. Now, to be sure, Jesus is the only one who can redeem from sin and death. But the redeeming love we've received from him, we start showing to others. So we go from asking, what must I do? To asking, what could I do? What needs are there here that I could meet? How could I bring hope into this needy situation? In other words, what drives Jesus' redeeming love? What drove Boaz starts driving us as well? So I wonder, what could that look like for you? I imagine lots of the time, it'll look like little everyday decisions, putting other people ahead of ourselves. Teenagers, when your parents ask you to put the bins out, asking, What more could I do? Could I wash the dishes as well to help out mum and dad? What could I do? At work, thinking, is there a colleague who's finding things hard that I could help in some way? What could I do for them to give them hope? Coming to church, praying God would give you someone to encourage, help you to serve others. Little, everyday decisions like that which actually isn't a little thing. Odds are that Boaz was prepared for this big decision by a lifetime of making those little decisions. But maybe it is a big decision. I mean, it might not involve sandals and weddings. Maybe it's inviting an older person to come live with you who'd otherwise be on their own. Or looking into adoption to see if you could welcome a child into your family who doesn't have their own parents. Or organizing support for someone who's struggling with their fuel bills this winter. As Christmas approaches, finding a way to say in a tactful way, look, I'd love to get some presents for your kids this Christmas. So you'll have something under the tree for them. I'd love to do that. What do they like? What do you like? I'd love to do something like that for you. Maybe it's something else. But whatever it is, we might find ourselves asking, why bother? Why bother? In the the big scheme of things, what difference could this make? In a chaotic world, the war in Ukraine, the cost of living crisis, so many problems, what impact could our acts of love possibly have? Well, that brings us to our final heading, where redeeming can lead. 
Next week, we'll think more along these lines, but just notice verses 11 and 12. When Boaz redeems Ruth, the witnesses pray a big prayer. God, bring something massive from what's happened today. You built up your people in the past in amazing ways. Well, would you build up a lasting house for your people through Ruth and Boaz? See, these witnesses, they were full of hope in what God could do, which is amazing because they lived in a terrible time, the time of the judges, when if you know anything about the Bible, you know things were just awful. The country was falling apart. It would have been so easy to look back to what God had done in the past, to believe all God's significant work is behind us and despair for the future. Maybe we feel ourselves tempted to think that way too. But these witnesses knew God is still at work for future generations, even in the midst of a bad one. Just because things are hard now doesn't mean God has stopped working. And so they pray big prayers for the future. See, we might wonder what impact our acts of redeeming love could possibly have. In the big scheme of things, you'd think they were meaningless. But then picture an obscure legal drama in a nowhere place where a man ends up marrying a foreigner and secures a home for an old widow. All the while, the country falls apart around them. You'd think it was utterly insignificant in the big scheme of things. And God used it to change history. The witnesses' prayers were answered, even bigger than they ever imagined. More next week. And coming back to Mr. No Name, whereas Mr. So-and-so, who took the safe option, I guess, fades away as a nameless character, Boaz, by showing costly love, gets a lasting place in God's plans. See, as we look to the future, we never know what impact our acts of redeeming love could have. Stuff that seems insignificant, a legal drama in Bethlehem, a crucifixion in Jerusalem. God causes to ripple out with lasting effects in his good purposes. So have hope. The redeeming love that we try to show as those who've received redeeming love from the Lord Jesus is not in vain. Well, a moment now to reflect, and then I'll lead us in a prayer.